Turn with me in your Bibles or otherwise give your attention to God's word. And remember, the Bible is God's word. I'm using those two things um, synonymously. Luke chapter six. I had intended to be here last week to set the record straight. But you got a better sermon. And I listened online and was greatly blessed. That passage in Proverbs has been dear to me since high school. Above all else, guard your heart, for out of it flow the issues of life. And yet I've never heard it expounded as well as I did last week. So thank you, Dr. Poland, for that. But back to Gospel according to Luke and reminding us that the doctor has good news. We need good news. And now we come to a place here in chapter 6 where the Lord Jesus has called unto himself the disciples that he is turning into apostles. He has called men to him in order that he may send them out from him. After I did what I could to help out in Waynesville this week, on Tuesday night I made my way to Atlanta, and there on Wednesday and Thursday we had meetings of our denominational committee on mission to the world. Missionaries are continuing to go out. And even as they're going out, we have many who are retiring. We had one couple, the Pattersons, who have come off the field and retired now after 48 years. Working with Wycliffe Bible translators, they have been in a support role in a number of places where people were able for the first time ever to hear the word of God read to them in their own heart languages. They got to witness that. They got to open up operations over the years and then close them down. In a couple of those cases, they were literally the last missionaries to leave a location because translation work was done. But yet the work continues. And so, having called his disciples to him, he now speaks to them. Luke 6, beginning with verse 20, hear the word of the living God. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. And may the Lord bless to our hearts the reading of his word. For the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And remember... This is the word which by the gospel is preached to you. Amen. A stunning reversal. We've all seen it, whether we've watched the ball game or whether we've been by the bedside of a loved one. On occasion, we've experienced that exultant feeling when everything, though it had seemed to be going downhill, suddenly reversed. He caught the ball or he sunk it in the net or even though the doctor had been looking with a long face, came in and said, I can't explain it, but 
The cancer is gone. Vital signs are returning to normal. And without any supposedly scientific explanation, we've seen loved ones get well. Doesn't always work out that way. But in one degree or another, we've all seen how that circumstances suddenly can turn. When the Lord Jesus speaks to his disciples, first of all, we need to understand that these are his disciples. He is talking to those who are followers of him. That's what a disciple is, those who follow the Lord Jesus. And that's what we are all called to, to forsake our lives as they have been and to follow the Lord Jesus. Or maybe you, like me, having been raised in a Christian home, have never known a time when you when you didn't know anything else. Like my grandfather used to say when I would ask about the age of a particular person in our community, I'll say, how old was Uncle Wayne? And he'd say, old enough to know better. We have come to the place where we know that the Lord Jesus has the answers and we follow him. And so we are all called to be his disciples. And Jesus lifted up his eyes. He looked at those who were followers of him. He looked at them. He knew them. He knew them intimately, and he proclaimed blessing. He proclaimed pronouncement of joy, a kind of happiness that is a kind of bedrock joy, not a superficial kind of happiness. You know, we've all met people like that who always act like they're happy, even though the world may be falling apart. Now, that's not altogether bad. But Jesus is not just saying, listen, you're going to be able to act like you're happy. He's talking about a happiness that will be deep-seated and bedrock and infused in our lives. And he says it in an extraordinary way because in that culture and society, it was generally understood or thought that if your circumstances were bad, it's because you lacked God's favor. People who were rich and wealthy and experiencing good things in life were generally looked upon as those whom God was favoring. And if you weren't experiencing that, if you happened to be a leper, if you happened to be impoverished, well, God was disfavoring you. And so the Lord Jesus turns everything on its head and says something that would have caught them quite by surprise, I think. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. What? Poor? Well, that means I'm not favored. It means God doesn't like me. And yet you're telling me I'm blessed because the kingdom is going to be mine. You see, the coming of the kingdom of God supersedes all experiences in our present age. You can't base your standing in God's kingdom on your feelings or your circumstances. Just because you're facing dire outcomes from medical tests or the possibility of that or because you have experienced a financial reversal. I think about the failed bank in California and how suddenly this morning many people are looking at a whole different outlook than they had last weekend. Those things happen. But we need to know and understand that we are loved by God in Christ Jesus, whether or not we feel it or see it in the moment. God did not organize his kingdom in such a way that we would see and experience the benefits of it in the here and now. We will only ultimately know the fulfillment of all that Christ has accomplished for us when we stand before him in glory. Matthew records the Lord Jesus saying in the Sermon on the Mount, 
as saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is not just simply talking about economic circumstances. He's talking about an attitude of the heart. You can be profoundly wealthy and yet with a right understanding of who you are before God, you know that before him, there is nothing. And that everything you have has come from him. And you can still exhibit this attitude of being poor in spirit and humble before him. In fact, we must. If we really know who he is. And we know who we are in light of who he is. Because Christianity is all about matters of the heart. When we repent that word in the scriptures that would have us to turn away from sin and all those things that separate us from God. When when God tells us to repent, he's talking about an attitude of the heart, not talking about a list of things that you can go out and do. As uh, many misunderstood the scriptures for centuries, believing that the word repentance was really penance. And so there came to be a whole system of things that you were supposed to do, depending on what particular sin you were confessing at the time. But that's a misunderstanding of the word. Metanoia is not something that you do. It's an attitude of the heart in which you are humble and lowly, in which you admit and acknowledge sin and guilt, and you turn from it. An internal transformation that, yes, is born out in the external, but nevertheless, an attitude of the heart. And so all of us, with the right understanding of God's greatness and majesty and holiness, if grace is abounding toward us, we see ourselves as profoundly poor in his presence. After all, what is it that we really possess? You've heard the story, haven't you, about the man who had gone to heaven? Of course, this is uh, apocryphal, right? And... Uh, He was up there and he had managed to take with him somehow or other uh, savings that he had accumulated in life in the in the substance of gold. And he wanted to impress everybody, showed St. Peter what he brought with him. Look at all this gold I have. St. Peter looked and said, oh, pavement. (laughs) What do any of us have? Really? We realize how impoverished we are when we look at the majesty and the greatness of God. And when we come to that place, when we understand our lowliness. Now, listen, this turns everything that we're given to understand in the world on its head, right? I mean, the world teaches us to feel good about ourselves and to have a positive attitude and to reach the top of Maslow's pyramid and come to self-actualization. You know, think about what I can do and I can achieve anything. And this kind of turns that upside down and says, oh, who am I? Oh, God, have mercy on me, the sinner. This is not the kind of thing that the world teaches us. And unfortunately, many of our children have been so schooled in the notion that they are fine just the way that they are. Is it any wonder that they are largely absent from our worship increasingly? In our nation, a generation that's going off to college and it seems like when they leave home and go to college, they walk out the door of the church and they're not coming back because the world is telling them how great and wonderful they are. And they just need to realize their potential. And yeah, Jesus says, blessed are you 
when you are poor, poor in spirit. The psalmist says in Psalm 40, verse 17, as for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. Now, who's writing that? Presumably, David is the one writing that. And David was a man who would achieve a great deal in terms of material things. Being the king, he had great riches. And yet, acknowledging his poverty before the Lord and sees his need, that's when we're in a position to really experience the blessedness that God grants when by His grace we see who we really are. You remember the poem by Bobby Burns, Ode to a Louse? Does anybody here remember that from school? Am I the only one? Wow. You know, there's a young man who's uh, sitting in church and back in the day when all the women wore hats and he was sitting there behind a woman who was... and I'm. You know, not giving you the actual quote, but sitting there and she's got on this large hat and he's having trouble seeing the preacher and everything else that's going on. And while he's sitting there, lo and behold, a louse, lice, crawls out from under that hat. Bobby Burns says, oh, would some gift the giver give us that we might see ourselves as others see us. Thinking she was dressed to the nines and yet there comes this little creature out from under the hat. Ultimately, we are not who we think we are as we judge each other on outward appearances. God looks upon the heart. Who are you before him? That's what matters. As uh, Jesus proceeds, he talks about other things here. Blessed are you not only when you're poor, but blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. I think about the host of people in the world who literally do not know where their next meal is coming from. And yet, as they trust in the Lord Jesus, they can be assured of satisfaction ultimately in his kingdom and of never lacking again when they experience it in its fullness. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. I found comfort in this so many times. Because many times when I've prayed for a stunning reversal... Beside a a bed in a hospital, it has not happened. As I've prayed for people to get well, I've seen them decline and die. And I've cried with families. You know, so many times I've thought, I wish I'd had that class in medical school where you learn to separate yourself emotionally from your patients. I never had that class. I'm glad you did, because you're able to preach with an empathy and an understanding that makes you like a pastor who's had years of experience, and that's a great blessing to us. But I, I failed that class, too. And I remember telling the lady one time as I was crying with her, I said, I'm sorry. I said, I'm no use to you. I said, I, I need to learn not to become so emotionally involved. And she said, well, if you did, you wouldn't be any use to me. We may mourn and grieve, but we can be assured of joy that comes in the morning when we will stand before our Savior. Yes, the Lord Jesus said the same thing in the 
in way of blessing to all of those. For yours is the kingdom of God. For you shall be satisfied. For you shall laugh. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. Yes, we enjoy a favored status regardless of our immediate circumstances. <laughs> favored? Lord, really? When the doctor gives us the long face. Or when we go through conflict in family. When it seems like everything is falling apart. We lift up our eyes to the hills and remember where our strength comes from. Last week... As uh, we were in the midst of dealing with illness, our daughter was sick, our son-in-law was sick, and uh, trying to take care of things, and uh, just was feeling a heavy heart. I was not able to be here. I walked outside on Pike Creek, and I looked back toward the west, and there on top of Mount Lynn Lowry, where that 60-foot-tall iron cross is that General Sumter Lowry, a native of the state of Florida, had erected in memory of his daughter, Lynn, who succumbed to leukemia back in 1963. That large cross is there, and it's lighted every night. And I was looking up Robert Hyatt's pasture at the bottom of our daughter and son-in-law's little hill, and I looked, and there, there was Venus and Jupiter in an exact line above that cross, as if the Father were pointing me again to the remedy of all of our ills. Yes, we may be weighted with grief and hardship, but remember what Christ has done for you. And remember that we will realize in full what he has achieved. Yes, in the moment, we have the experience of salvation. We know, we can know that we have everlasting life, but we'll only know fully when we're there. And even... Not even, remember, when we die and our spirit is separated from our bodies and we are immediately in the presence of the Lord. Only when there's been that glorious resurrection, the consummation of all things, when Christ returns, will we experience in fullness the salvation that Christ has accomplished for us. That's why Christians are always looking ahead. No, it's more than pie in the sky by and by. We can know the joy now. We can experience God's favor now. But we know ultimately there is far greater things yet to come. Finally, as we look at the rest of this passage, there is a but in verse 24. Blessings to those who are disciples who yield themselves to the Lord Jesus. But woe to you who are rich. For you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when people shall speak well of you, for so their fathers did so to the false prophets. If your goal in life is to achieve success as the world defines it, congratulations. You can achieve that success without yielding your life to the Lord Jesus. And the only satisfaction you can know is what you now have. Now, maybe, maybe you think you're all right. Maybe you think you've achieved that level in life that you have been working for. But going back to a sports analogy, putting yourself on the other side of the equation, we all have experienced the thrill of victory when our team has come from behind and won the game. But think about the agony of defeat. 
as Howard Cosell used to say it. To seemingly be ahead the whole time, and yet in the end, lose it all. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, and yet loses his own soul? To seemingly have won at life, only to stand before God on the judgment, having rejected his Christ, having not humbled yourselves, having not seen yourself as impoverished and hungry and in need as you really are without repenting and trusting in the Lord Jesus and losing. Jesus has achieved a stunning reversal in our eternal outlook and present understanding. Don't measure your success the way the world does. Maybe you haven't achieved that level that you wanted to. Maybe you're not person the world thinks you ought to be. I just say to you, congratulations. What matters is, are you a child of God? And is your heart set on following him every day? For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Suffering is a reality in the Christian life. Grief that weighs us down. And yet, as we endure for an extremely short time, the difficulties of this life will know an eternity of joy and gladness. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, a lengthier quote, here's another but. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Wow. Going from being dead in trespasses to being seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Talk about a stunning reversal. That exceeds anything that anybody has ever seen in a ball game. Anything that anybody has ever witnessed in a hospital room. It exceeds anything that we could possibly imagine. Why? Because Christ has come into this sinful world and endured everything as we have endured it except without sin. And he laid down his life as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And having died that perfect death, he has been raised gloriously and victoriously and is seated now at the Father's right hand. So, Christian, I want to say to you, blessed are you. As you endure the hardships and difficulties of life, as surely as Jesus was raised from the grave, I tell you here and now that the best is yet to come. And we can't even begin to imagine what that is. Blessed are you. So even when the world despises us and says all manner of evil against us, we need to know that that's the way the world has always operated. You know, they they disparage the true prophets and they praise the false prophets. And we see the same thing now. People who preach falsehood, who proclaim things that are absolutely untrue. Those are the ones who get the spotlight, the glamour, the glitz, the wealth, the riches, the recognition. And so many out there telling the truth are disparaged, reviled. And yet the 
world is treating us the way it's always treated those who follow the Lord Jesus. So what should we do? Try to get even? No. Love our enemies. And rejoice. We're in good company. I would rather be with those who have been disparaged and persecuted for the sake of Christ than to be with those who have been thought well of by the world. Because we know where the true prophets of God now reside. And we know the consequences of living a life of unbelief. You know, there's a lot of things we may not understand in the Bible, but that much is clear. Faith in Christ equals salvation and everlasting life. Denying him, rejecting him, means God's eternal disfavor. He doesn't mince words. So live your life as one who is blessed, an object of God's grace, as we proclaim his grace. Thinking of old John Newton, who on a slave ship, a man who trafficked in human beings, people created in the image of God, yet because of the color of their skin and the continent on which they lived were subjugated, abused and mistreated, shackled, and placed in the holds of ships and by thousands upon thousands trafficked across oceans to live out in further bondage. Newton was a part of that awful hideous evil that continues to manifest its consequences even in our current age. And yet, God saved him. And he wrote that hymn, Amazing Grace. That's not what we're going to close with, but we are going to close singing about grace because it is by grace alone that we are redeemed and it is by grace alone that we count ourselves as blessed. Don't you ever think on any given day that you have God's favor because you've earned it. We have his favor because out of his infinite love and mercy, he has bestowed that grace on us. Let's do it at the end. By God's grace, we're going to get to see that video we missed out on earlier. But in the meantime, Christian, you're blessed by grace alone. Father in heaven, Lord, grant that we may live as those who have received this glorious and wondrous grace, that we may walk by grace alone, as we by faith in Christ alone are saved. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Grace alone. Might be a new song for some people, but it's a beautiful song to have in our worship repertoire. Every promise we can make, every prayer. only by His grace. Every mountain we will climb, every way of glory.
gone long, and I don't want to cut into the Sunday school hour. So let's all, if you're going to Sunday school quietly, make your way there. I'll ask Jim to play the video after the benediction. If you would like to see that, you may do that. If you need to transition on into the fellowship hall, just do that quietly. I don't know that we can pull that off, but let's try. That's the best I've got. So go with the Lord's blessing. May grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Be with you and abide with you all, both now and forevermore. And everyone said together, Amen. Amen.